I had my worst experience at a fast food restaurant on Monday. Um, you know, have, have you guys ever met anybody that absolutely refuses to eat at a fast food restaurant? Has anybody ever met somebody? I mean, they, they absolutely refuse to eat at a fast food restaurant. I had lunch with a guy. This was back in November, maybe December. Uh, he lives in Clemson, and he's probably 55, 60. Uh, and for about 30 years, um, he has not eaten at a fast food restaurant and absolutely refuses to eat at a fast food restaurant. And after my experience at McDonald's on Monday, uh, I'm thinking about taking up that practice. It was Graham's birthday, and uh, so we asked Graham after school, preschool, we got out at 11 o'clock, we said, okay, buddy, where, where would you like to go for lunch for your birthday? And we thought, this is simple, it's either going to be Bill's Lucky Strike or Chips and Dip. We're, we're, we're good. And he throws McDonald's into the mix. It was uh, It was bad. It was a bad experience. So uh, we had that to do this week. By the way, this week uh, the Olympics started, right? How many of you have watched the Olympics? Those of you that have not raised your hand, you know it's against the law in the United States not to watch the Olympics when the Olympics come on. No. Um, so we, uh, we, in, we watched somewhat of the opening ceremonies, which I don't really get into that all that kind of stuff, or figure skating. If you don't watch figure skating, that's okay. Watch the rest of it, though. Uh, and if you like figure skating, that's all right. It's just not for me, guys or girls. Um, and so we have uh, since trained or taught Graham the USA chant, right? When an American is participating, he'll chant USA, USA. And so yesterday... Uh, Graham and I, we went over to Toccoa Falls College, and Jared Collins, who I think attended here for a little while, is playing basketball at Columbia International University in Columbia. And so they were playing at Toccoa Falls College yesterday afternoon. And so Graham and I jumped in the car, and we went over, and we were watching. And their women's team was sitting to our front left of us. And uh, it was a it was a pretty good game, and so they started chanting CIU for Columbia International University. And Graham, not paying attention, just started chanting USA, USA. And everybody just kind of turns and looks, and you know, what do you say? I mean, it's the Olympics. It's you know. So anyway, we we had a good time with that, uh, and and it's a good week. It's a good two weeks with the Olympics. Um, these are sports that I, you know, I know I hardly know anything about, but I love watching them. I mean, what's what's neater than watching a guy take a plunge off of a, a cliff and, and float in the air a hundred plus meters? I mean, that's that's pretty neat. Or, or put their life on the line going 80 miles an hour down a mountain on two skis. I mean, that's just that's neat to me. Uh, and so I enjoy uh, bobsledding. I mean. You know, cool runnings, just that did it for me, right? And so I'm just, I'm all into the bobsledding now. So I hope you guys get a chance to take that in. Um, Here's what I want to do tonight. I want to walk through the book of Daniel chapter 1 with you guys uh, and just point out, uh, I started doing this with our students several months ago. Um, Each Sunday night and Wednesday night that we meet, I give them 
uh, not necessarily an outline, um, but I give them a series of questions that we're going to tackle and walk through uh, during that particular time. And so tonight, I think as, as we read Daniel chapter 1, we're going to see that there's a series of questions that we have to ask ourselves when it comes to reading and studying Daniel chapter 1. And so if you brought, uh, hopefully you brought this back with you, right? Daniel chapter 1, you'll be able to write some notes down in these questions that, that we're going to address tonight. So if you'll turn to Daniel chapter 1, we're going to read. Um, and here's what we're going to do. We're not going to read the entire chapter. It's 21 verses. I encourage you to do that. Um, but I'll, I'll let you know when we skip down a couple of verses. Uh, and then we'll go from there. All right? So we're going to read verses 1 and 2 first. Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Now skip down to verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. So he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Verse 11, Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food. And treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to do this and tested them for ten days. And we're going to look at verse 15 through 20 real quick. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time, set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. And every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much again for this opportunity. Thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the conviction and the challenge that we receive from it. And I just pray now that you would empty us and fill us right now with your spirit. 
that, God, when we leave this place, when we walk out of here, we are convicted, we are challenged, we are changed. We've got to go out into a dark world and shine the light of Christ. In all avenues of life, God, may we strive to honor you and glorify you through our words and our actions. In Christ's name, amen. So, Daniel was a light in a dark place. There's no question through the exile, through, through being held captive, taken into captivity, Daniel was even in, in Judah, in Jerusalem, even there, Daniel and, and a certain group of people were a light in a dark world full of corruption, full of deceit, um, full of that, that whole idea that we talked about this morning, about, you know what, do what you want, say what you want, think what you want, and guess what, that's okay. And that was the world that Daniel was living in. When, when most people read Daniel chapter 1, they, they, they most likely think, when you read the first two chapter, or first two verses, they think, wait a minute. So you mean God handed over His people to the enemy? Like He, he literally just handed over His people to the enemy. Is that the God that we serve? That, that doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, when you read that, that that's what you're thinking is, wait a minute. Is, is that a sovereign, graceful, loving God? I want to I get into that tonight. I just wanted to get the, the gears turning a little bit tonight as, as we dive into Daniel chapter 1. I, I want you to understand something, though. And I say this often. I believe this. Our students hear it all the time. People that know me hear it all the time. Guess what? It does not matter who we are where we're at, or what we're going through, guess what? God's will always prevails. That's it. God's will always prevails. It does not matter if you're here on the mountaintops or you're in the valley. Guess what? God's will always prevails. And I I believe that, that God has a purpose and a plan for everything. It's not by chance. It's not by luck. God has a purpose and a plan for everything. And I think that we're going to see that as we walk through Daniel chapter 1 uh, together tonight. I wanted to share this story with you real quick. It's about a missionary named Jim Elliott. You may have heard of him. You may not have. Um, back in the 1800s, Jim Elliott was a, a martyr. He was a missionary over in Africa, Right? And so, Jim Elliot, it was said about him that, that he testified so well. That he testified so well. I want to read this to you, though. It's interesting that the Greek word martyr, it originally meant somebody or someone who testifies. What caused its meaning to change? That's a good question. Right? Because we don't know a martyr as someone who testified well. Right? We know a martyr as what? 
Someone that gave their life for the cause of Christ, right? Well, that's the meaning of the word martyr, and that was the reason for the change. The word took on new meaning in the early church, and that's when we pick up or begin to understand the true meaning of of that Greek word, martyr. And so, under persecution, it brought forth a large number of people who were so good at standing for what they believed in their message that it became clear to the whole world. And watch this. They testified themselves to death. They underwent death by testimony. And their testimony was heard. For the sake of Christ, for the cause of Christ, for the cross of Christ, guess what? People have been killed. People have gone to death. I mean, they they have died. They've gone to their grave proclaiming the message of Christ. What in the world does that have to do with Daniel chapter 1? Now, we're in Daniel 1, the Old Testament. I realize that. I hope you realize that as well. New Testament hasn't come yet. Christ hasn't come yet. We, we get that, right? But I want to share with you, I believe Daniel would have been a martyr, would have gone to his deathbed, would have gone to the grave for the cause of Christ. Why do I know that? Why do I believe that? Because he did it right here in Daniel chapter 1. He was willing to give his life for his God. He was willing to do whatever it took at all cost for his God. So this sparked a, a question for me. Daniel's in a, a hostile territory. He's in a very hostile territory where the, the wrong move, the wrong word, the wrong look, guess what, gets him killed. It gets him killed. And so I begin to think, okay, what are the, the, um, the most dangerous jobs in the world? And what are the requirements to, to get one of those, those jobs? And so in no particular order, here are the top ten jobs of 2013. Deep sea tuna fishermen. I didn't really get that one, but evidently it's dangerous. The reels on their rod and reels, by the way, were as big as my head. So that's some big tuna, whatever they're catching in Massachusetts. A skyrise window cleaner. Coast Guard search and rescue. Oil well driller. A helicopter lineman. I didn't really get that one. You want to fly in a helicopter above power lines? Have at it. Firefighter, a miner, and a logger. Those are the top ten most dangerous jobs of 2013. And for some of those jobs, it takes a lot of training and certification. And for some of the other jobs just takes picking up a chainsaw. But if you don't know how to work that chainsaw, guess what? Something's going to happen and it's not going to be good. Daniel was in a very hostile situation. 
He was taking on a dangerous job. Because during this time, and, and the, the, even history had shown and proved that if you did not go along with and abide by the king's rules and laws, guess what? You were killed. There were no questions asked. There was no trial. There was no jury. You were killed. And you find that out later on as you read in the, into the book of Daniel that, that kings, would, would even King Nebuchadnezzar, had dreams. And he would call these guys in, these guys that he trusted, enchanters and magicians and all these sorcerers and, and fortune teller types of people. And he would ask them to interpret the dream and he even told them, if you can't do this job for me, guess what? You're going to die. I will have you killed. And that's exactly what happened. So Daniel and his friends were walking into a very hostile situation. And so here are the questions that I think as you read Daniel chapter 1, these are three questions that that I think are critical to understanding Daniel chapter 1. All right, here's the first question. Did God, in fact, abandon His people? Did God, in fact, abandon His people? And I think it could be simply said by saying this. No, He did not. No, He did not. It may seem that way, but if you read back in Isaiah, you'll see that that Isaiah even gave prophecy to this right here happening. That, That the people of Jerusalem knew, hey, if I keep living the way that I want to live, doing the things that I want to do, and saying what I want to say with, with no regard to the, the creator of the universe, the, the God of this universe, that it's not going to turn out great. That people are going to suffer, people are going to die. And God's mercy, God's wrath will come down on His children. So you see, they knew it. They had a foreknowledge of knowing, hey, if I'm disobedient, if I live in constant sin, guess what? God will have His will and way. God will chasten me. So did God abandon His people? No, He didn't. A couple of examples I thought of in the Old Testament were, were Joseph. You know the story of Joseph in, in Genesis, right? He's got brothers and his brothers are very jealous of him. And so what do they do? They throw him in a well, right? So they throw Joseph in a well. He gets found or he's pulled up and, and sold into slavery by his brothers, right? And where does he end up? Egypt, Right? Now, could you imagine by your own family being disowned and sold into slavery? Could you imagine that? And we might joke and laugh that, yeah, I wish I could do that to my brother or sister or whatever when I was little. But, you know, all seriousness, could you imagine being sold into slavery? And yet, you see the beauty of, of, of God's presence and God's will through Joseph's life. And God raising him up 
almost like he does Daniel. In a, in a position where not Joseph and not Daniel are, are glorified, but God is glorified. You see it through Ruth for you ladies. I don't want to leave you guys out, but you see it through Ruth. If you, if you read the, the book of Ruth, here's a lady that left everything that she knew. And when she did and she married, guess what? Everything she knew and everything she had was gone. And her husband passing away. And she had an opportunity, she had a choice to make where she could either go back home, where she knew culture, she knew the way of life there, or she could take a leap of faith and stay with her mother-in-law. And you know what she did? She stayed with her mother-in-law. And so even during that time of crisis in her life where she felt like nothing was going right, that God's hand had been removed from her, guess what? God was still present. And God was still active and still moving. And see, I think sometimes even in our lives, we, we get complacent and we begin to think, well, God, I don't see you moving. I don't, I don't see anything happening. Guess what? God's still moving. God's still moving. He's still present. He's still active. So it's not God. It may be us. Well, here's the obvious example in the Bible. And that's Jesus. Did God abandon His people? Did God abandon His Son? No. No, He didn't. The fact that Jesus wanted to come to this earth and live His life and give His life for our sake, for our sins, God didn't abandon Jesus. It was all a part of His master plan. It was all a part of His will. And so when we're going through life, when we're going through day-to-day life, and we're facing the, the peaks and the valleys, the ups and the downs in life, guess what? We have to remain and know this one simple fact. That God never leaves His people and His will always prevails. We may not understand it. We may not see the full scope of things at that immediate time. But we have to rest assured in our own hearts that God's will will always prevail. And He never abandons. He never deserts. And He never leaves us out on an island by ourselves. He didn't with Joseph. He didn't with Ruth. He didn't with Daniel. He didn't even with His own son. So why should we, who are we, to sit there and go, God, have you left us? There's a portion of the Scripture that, that we skipped over, uh, verses 3 through 5 or so. And it gives us a description of Daniel and his three friends, right? And it says in the Bible that, that they were... Um, they were the, the most fit. They, they were the healthiest. I mean, they were Olympians. If you, go, you can go with me. They were Olympians. 
It says they were young men without any physical defect. Handsome, showing aptitude in every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Now as teenage boys, they had it together. They had it together. And the fact that they're teenage boys and they had it together is just astonishing, right? So so that's just proof that, guess what? Teenagers aren't crazy. Not all of them, anyway. I mean, there is some sanity within the teenage culture. Daniel's proof of that. Now, was he the wisest, most knowledgeable I don't know that. I can't answer that. What I can tell you is that what the king saw was a dude that had it together. That's what the king saw. And so here's the second question. How and why did Daniel and his friends, how and why did they cooperate? They were taken into captivity. They were taken into slavery, into bondage. All right, this wasn't a, all right, I'm going to send you an invitation. You need to RSVP by this date, and you need to appear on this date. All right? This was a, we're coming to your town, to your city, and we're taking you. We're physically going to take you and bring you to Babylon. So this wasn't a, a pretty scene at all. But why did they cooperate? That, that's, that's the question that's baffled me. I don't think any of us have ever been taken against our own will. And I hope and pray that that never happens. But I have to believe that if I'm taken against my own will, I'm fighting back. I'm going to do something. I may not get very far. But I'm going to fight back. I'm going to scrap just, I mean, whatever I can do, right? But they cooperated. They cooperated. Why did they cooperate? Here's the simple answer. I think they were confident in their God. That's a simple answer. I think they were confident in their God. They were confident in who they were, and they were confident in whose they were. Can we say that about ourselves today? Even though our lives are not on the lines, day in and day out, Can we say that we have full confidence in God that even if we were to stand before King Nebuchadnezzar, that that we would have confidence in God, enough confidence that we wouldn't fight back because we understand that, you know what, this is an opportunity, this trial, this circumstance, this situation that I'm going through, this crisis in my life, even though I don't like it, I don't agree with it, it's uncomfortable and it's dirty. Guess what? It's an opportunity for God to be glorified through me. 
Boy, that's that's like chewing rubber. I mean, that's I'm telling you, that's like chewing rubber. It's not easy, easy to chew and digest. The fact that we're going to go through trials, that, that we're going to go through crisis situations in our lives, and guess what? They're all for the glory of God. Mm. So you mean to tell me that a teenage boy was able to have enough to have the, the wisdom and discernment that through this crisis in his life he was able to see, you know what? This is an opportunity to glorify our God, the Creator of all things, the Alpha and the Omega. Yeah. Yeah. That was Daniel. That was Daniel. You know, I heard this the other day and, and uh, it, it rattled my cage. I'm not kidding. It rattled my cage. I've never heard this before. A guy asked, um, there's a message I was listening to and he asked the question. He said, if you were to sit before a jury, would there be enough evidence against you to convict you of being a Christian? If you were to sit before a jury today, would there be enough evidence, would they find enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? You know, Daniel didn't see this as an opportunity to rebel and fight back, but he saw it as an opportunity to bring honor and glory to God. So I want to ask you, when you're going through these trials of life, when you're going through these crisis situations in your life, how do you see them? As an opportunity to rebel and fight? Or do you see it as an opportunity to bring honor and glory to God? That's the example that Daniel has given us. Here's the third question, and we'll wrap up with this one. Can God really bring good from a bad situation? Can God really bring good from a bad situation? Now you see that Daniel and his friends have cooperated through this whole event. They've cooperated the entire time, other than going to the guard and saying, hey, listen, we don't want the king's food and we don't want the king's wine. Because it, 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 is a, it, it sets a different standard. It's against what we believe. And all we want is water and vegetables. That's it. That's all we want. And the Bible says that God gave favor to Daniel by, by allowing the, the soldier or the guard to have, show favor to Daniel and his friends, right? I mean, Daniel could have lost his life just by asking that one simple question. But yet God gave favor to Daniel through this whole event. And we see later on in verses 15 through 20 that, that even during this bad situation, during this crisis that Daniel and his friends were going through, guess what? God can bring good out of any bad situation. I might think I've got it bad sometimes, some days, but guess what? It's nothing compared 
to what Daniel was going through. Gosh, it's probably not even compared to what some of you have been going through. But all I can tell you is what I know and what I believe, and that's this. That if God can bring a good situ- or bad situation and bring good from that bad situation through Daniel, through Joseph, through Ruth, guess what? He can bring good out of your bad situation. Whatever it may be. It may be a work situation. It may be a family situation. It may be a personal situation that you're dealing with. And it may be bad. It may be ugly. It may hurt. God can bring good out of that situation. I'm telling you, if you believe this, if you believe it from cover to cover, you have to believe that God will bring good out of any bad situation. Because this book right here is full of them. There's not a book that you read where God is not redeeming His children through His grace and mercy. So can God bring good out of any bad situation? He absolutely can. You know, it's it's tough to understand and realize that God has called us all to be martyrs. He's called us all to be martyrs. I hope you agree with that because as a Christian, guess what? We're called to live daily. We're called to live daily the Great Commission. And we're to daily share the love of Christ with the people around us. Even to the point of death. And so I'll ask you again, if you were to sit before a jury tonight, would there be enough against you to convict you of being a Christian. You know, Daniel wasn't doing this to gain political status, to gain exposure. Daniel didn't go into this with his own agenda. He went in with when I believe he went into this with one goal and one purpose, and that was to bring honor and glory to God. And so as we lay our heads down tonight on our pillows, it's my prayer that God, if you give me another day, would you grant me the opportunity to bring honor and glory to you tomorrow. Forget my agenda, forget my will, forget my wants and my ways. May I make tomorrow all about you. May I make tomorrow or today all about you. Daniel was an incredible, incredible, incredible young man. And it's encouraging to me as I work with students weekly the fact that, you know what, God can still use young people. He can still use young people. If He can do it through Daniel, He can do it through anybody, young or old. 
So I hope you're challenged by that. I hope you're convicted by it. I hope you're changed by it. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much again for the night. Thank you for the opportunity to study your word. Thank you for uh, the, the challenge and the conviction of your word through the life of Daniel. God, I pray that we would take it and I pray that we would use it in such a way that it would not only bring about life change in our own lives, but it would bring about life change in the people around us. So God, help us tonight. Help us in this week ahead. As we go through our routine of a work week or school week or whatever it may be, God, help us to stay close to you and to seek out every opportunity where you're working, where you're moving, to share the love of Christ. We thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.